This is the second message in my little small short series on living by faith in a sin-cursed world. Today we'll look at Job. Last week we looked at Joseph's life, didn't we? Looked at Joseph's life from Genesis, the late last 15 or so chapters of Genesis. And the focus there was an understanding and knowing the fact of God's providential control in a sin-cursed world. And that through that, he accomplishes his purposes. This world is not spinning out of control. It's not running on its own. God is in control of every aspect of it. And that truth, which are facts that we know from God, that is the basis, the substance, the content of faith. So when you go through, like with Joseph, when Joseph went through those trials, he didn't just kind of hope for the best. He had a hope in God who promised. And Christian, as you go through life in a sin-cursed world, that truth that we learned last week must be the content of your faith that keeps you solid on Christ and trusting in him. So knowing that, how should you live in a sin-cursed world? And Job provides us with a great example. Let's consider first the different circumstances of a sin-cursed world from Job's life. We see, first of all, Satan, the prowling killer of souls. We read there in how he uh, was going to and fro on the earth Chapter 1, verse 7, walking back and forth on it. And the same thing in chapter 2 and verse 2. You're reminded of the New Testament where Peter says in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, he's like a roaring lion, isn't he? Going to and fro throughout the earth, seeking to someone to devour. Satan was the instigator of these destructive effects of sin. He was the instigator of it. He's the one who thought of it. And so we need to, this needs to happen. And not only was the instigator of it, he was the one who accomplished it, the one who did it, the one who sinned in this way. We need to keep that in mind. A second thing we see is Satan is the God of this world. In chapter 1, in verses 14 and 17, we read about two groups, the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans. These were, at that time, nomadic groups. Uh, the years that followed, eventually they would settle down, become great nations themselves. My point here, Satan worked through. He worked through the sinful orientation of these people, their sinful desires and their sinful actions. He's the one who is working through them as the God of this world. We see also... These destructive storms. Satan was the one who caused these to happen. And not only that, but chapter 2, verse 7, we see how Satan struck Job's body. Was Job a believer? Sure was. He sure was. And the Lord allowed Satan to afflict Job. You could also write down along this line, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. We read there that Paul said, an agent of Satan was sent to afflict 
Paul's body. What effects did, this, did these effects of sin have on this great godly saint of Job? Number three. Well, verses 13 to 17, he lost his livelihood. We'll talk about that in a minute, what's involved with that. But he lost everything. His flocks, his servants, he lost everything. Verses 18 and 19, he lost his ten children. Gone. In one day. He experienced great physical suffering. Great physical pain. And... As a result of this pain, remember, he had boils over how much of his body? Do you remember that from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet? Can you imagine the pain just completely filled with the boils? It caused physical disfigurement of him. His friends, when they came, they didn't even recognize him. He was so, so afflicted with his pain. Not only that, his wife, in chapter 2, verse 9, tempted him to apostatize. Leave the Lord. Curse God and die. It'll be easy for you now. Job was abandoned by his spouse. He didn't have anyone to help him. No one to encourage him. Everyone is against him. We might say, well, these friends came. Well, remember the rest, chapter 3, like verse 36, chapter 36. His friends, did they really help him? No. What his friends would do is they'd say basically this in different ways and different reasons. But basically this, the reason you're suffering is because you've sinned, Job. That's why you're suffering. They didn't help him at all. And he had, as chapter 2, verse 13 says, very great grief. Put yourself... And Job's shoes. You have lost everything. And the only things of yours that are left are telling you to leave God and you've sinned, providing you no help whatsoever. You're completely alone. But there's one other aspect of living life in a sin-cursed world, and that's the fourth one. And it might seem kind of like, whoa, this is out of the blue. But we need to remember all the blessings that Job had, his tremendous family, all these material blessings, how did they, how were they given? When were they given? How did he experience them? It was still in a sin-cursed world. So let's consider some of these blessings he had. He had seven sons and three daughters. Seven sons and three daughters. You know, contrary to what the world says, children are a blessing of the Lord. And Job was greatly blessed. His possessions, look at chapter 1, verse 3. 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. Some of you have animals. How'd you like 1,000 of them? Or 7,000 of them? That's a lot of cats. That's a lot of dogs. A lot of horses. That's a lot of goldfish. I mean... Why don't you want that many? You'd say, I just don't have the time to take care of them. And I don't have enough money for it. Keep that in mind then. This was Job's, these were Job's possessions. He had all this. And he didn't take, for him to take care of all this means he had 
a large labor force working for him. It says there in, in verse 3, a very large household. That's not talking about his kids. That's talking about all the servants and the employees that he had working for him. This is a serious outfit that Job had. Lots of land, lots of servants, lots of money to provide for all this. And all that were happening right then in that sin-cursed world. I want you to see that. And these things, both the good times and the difficult times, they still happen today, don't they? They're happening in your life. There's times of great abundance and there's times of great suffering, isn't there? Because we live in this sin-cursed world. So the main focus of today's message is on the second point then, so that we can learn how Job lived a godly life in every experience in a sin-cursed world so that you can learn so that you can be encouraged how you need to live. The first thing we read in chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 8, is that he was blameless and upright. This is talking about the kind of character he had and his conduct. His character and his conduct. Character is the kind of person that you are. Deep down, who you really are. The kind of person you are. Who he was. Conduct is how you live. And you know your character by your conduct, don't you? Your character is seen in your conduct. And your conduct, it also reinforces your character. This is his life before a righteous God. The standard by which he guided his life was God's character and commands. God's character and commands were what guided his character, who he was. God's character and commands were what guided his actions, what he did. God is like this, and God says this, and Job sought to bring his life in line with that, who he was and how he lived, and so his character was blameless and upright before the Lord. So in his business, and he had a lot of business, didn't he? All these animals, all that feed he had to produce, buy and, and whatnot, he was upright and blameless in his business affairs. He was upright and blameless in society, how he lived with other people. When you read the rest of Job and in your daily devotional for this week, I have you reading select passages from, from Job. I give some detail about that. Pay attention to the kinds of things he did, his interactions with people, and how he treated those who were both wealthy, those who were wicked, those who were in need. He was upright and blameless in all these. He had an important position in the government of their land. In chapter 29, verse 7, it talks about he, how he sat, sat in the gates. Now, that kind of sounds like he got his lawn chair out, had a nice seat, and maybe drank a Diet Mountain Dew uh, with the buddies there and just kind of took it easy. No, it's talking about how he had a judicial position he had a role in government there. And he was upright and blameless in that. Toward the evil, toward the lowly, as a married man, he was blameless and upright. Right down chapter 31 and verse 1. We know that uh, he was upright and, and uh, blameless in regards to his married life because he said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look with lust upon a maid? I've determined I'm going to be faithful to my wife. 
Job didn't have different morals for different situations. He was consistent. He was godly at all times because God is consistent, isn't he? And God is always righteous. And so Job's commitment in his morals, in his ethics, in his life was to be godly like God is, whether he's at home or whether he's in the workplace. This doesn't mean he was sinless, but it means he was spiritually mature. So what's a spiritually mature person looks like? Spiritually mature person is steady. They're steady. They're settled. They're even keeled. They're not bouncing around from one thing to the next. They're steady and they keep going. I'm not talking about personality here, okay? Some people's personalities are, well, Dutch and German and never smile and just kind of keep going. Other people's personalities are like, yeah, it's crazy, you know, smiley and happy and all this. Aren't you thankful that God made us all different? Because if we were all like this, we'd all go crazy. And if we were all like this, we'd all be, no, that's no fun. But we need each other, don't we? We need each other. That's not what that's talking about. It's talking about your character. So yes, you can be like this and be spiritually mature and steady, not flitting about from one thing to the next. Christian, you must be spiritually mature. You have to be settled on Christ. And you have to love him 100% no matter what. In every circumstance. The second characteristic of Job is that he feared God. Chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 8. He feared God. I put a definition for the fear of the Lord on the front of your daily devotional because we're working through Proverbs. What is the fear of the Lord? It is, first and foremost, a reverent faith in the Lord. That means you know who God is. You believe that in your heart, and you have an unreserved trust in him. Unreserved trust. You love him and him alone. You obey him and him alone. He alone receives your worship and praise. And you're always remembering, I will give an account to this God someday. And this was Job. He knew his God. He loved, worshiped, and served his God only. And he remembered, I will answer to God someday. A third characteristic of Job. He shunned evil. Verse 1 and verse 8. He shunned evil. When did Job live? It doesn't give us a date here, does it? I think it's probably correct to view Job as living sometime between uh, the flood and Abraham, what are called the patriarchs. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So remember when the flood was Genesis 6 to 8, and you had Abraham around Genesis, last part of Genesis 11 and 12, and then chapter 12. Job lived in that period right there. He didn't live in Palestine. He didn't live in Canaan, in the, in the promised land right then. They didn't have that then. So what was life like? From the time of the flood to Abraham. Do you remember why God sent the flood? Remember what it says in Genesis chapter 6, I think it's like verse 3, when God saw every thought of man that it was what? Wicked. So what did God do? Clean the earth completely. Clean the earth completely. And 
how successful was that? And this wasn't the intent of the flood, okay? But how successful was that of cleaning the environment, of clearing the air, of dealing with all that godless culture? We know from Genesis chapter 8, after the flood, that the Lord says in Genesis 8.21, the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. And so in the years that followed after the flood up to Job's time, what happened? Every time a brand new baby was born, no matter how cute they were, and I got a cute picture I can show you of a brand new baby girl, what happens every time? A new sinner is born that needs to repent of sin and trust in Christ. And these sinners grow up and they, if they're not saved, what do sinners do? They sin. And what is sin in God's eyes? It is evil. But there was this one man in the midst of this sea of evil of evil in society, and evil in relationships, and evil in their work, and evil in their business. There was one man, at least one man, who said, I will not do that. And the word here is shun. I will not do that. I'm not going to enjoy it. I'm not going to dabble in it. I'm not going to make it part of my entertainments and just kind of, kind of ignore that. It's easy to do that, isn't it? I'm going to shun it, avoid it, deliberately and habitually. This is what characterized him. And you'd say, man, this guy sounds like boring, you know? No, he feared the Lord. He loved the Lord. I will serve him and live for him and worship him exclusively and not myself. And God hates evil and I love God and I'm going to love what God loves. And what else? Hate what God hates. These two characteristics, fearing the Lord and shunning evil, they can be summed up in one word. Job 28, 28. Fearing the Lord and shunning evil can be summed up in one word, wisdom. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Wise people fear the Lord at all times. Wise people fear the Lord at all times. But foolish people, you know what they do? They fake it. They fake it until times start getting hard. And then you find out where they're really at. A fourth characteristic of Job. He led his family spiritually. Look at verse, chapter 1, verse 5. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt sacrifices, uh, burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that if my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts, thus Job did regularly. So what did Job do? He would send and sanctify them. I don't think they're having this drunken kind of party here. This is a, perhaps a birthday party, an occasion that they would get together. But he said, I love my family. I love the Lord. And the way that the Lord has provided, the way the Lord has taught us what to do is we need to be careful about these things and, and express that through worship and fear. Job was the priest of his family. He was the priest of his family. Remember when he lived from the time of Noah until Abraham. They didn't have Levites to offer sacrifices then. Those came later. They didn't have a temple in Jerusalem 
Jerusalem hadn't even been built yet, probably. They definitely didn't have local churches, did they? How God was working then was each family, and the head of that family was responsible for the right worship and relationship of their people, of his family, to the Lord. Number five, he trusted the Lord. He trusted the Lord. I'd like us to see four actions showing his trust in the Lord here under this point. Four actions of his trust in the Lord. Look with me at uh, chapter 1 and verse uh, 21, 21. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The first action showing his trust in the Lord is he remembered his true state. He remembered his true state. He remembered his true state. I came naked, and I will leave naked. What's he saying? I came into life with how much? Nothing. And I will, when I leave this life, what will I bring with me? Nothing. Nothing at all. Anything that you have in between those times, anything experience in between those times, is from the Lord. He recognized his true state. A second expression of his faith. He said, the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Number two, he recognized God's sovereignty. He recognized God's absolute sovereignty. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. When these things happen in verses 13 to 19, did Job blame Satan? No. Did he blame the Sabaeans? No. Did he blame the Chaldeans? No. Did he blame the wind and the weather and the climate? No. Did he blame anyone? No. He recognized God's sovereignty. A third aspect of his faith is that he praised the Lord. He remembered his true state. He recognized God's sovereignty. Number three, he praised the Lord. It says there at the end of verse 21, blessed be the name of the Lord. He praised the Lord through that. One of the passages that we will look at in this series is the book of Habakkuk. Um, I will be on a vacation during that time and my good friend Dr. Mark Snowberger will be here and he's going to be preaching from Habakkuk then. I encourage you to read that. Just three short chapters, especially the last part like Habakkuk 3 verses 17 and 19 where Habakkuk expresses his trust in the Lord. He said, if I lose everything, I will still do what? I will still praise the Lord. And that's what Job did here. One last characteristic his action showing his trust in the Lord is that he submitted to God's plan. He submitted to God's plan. This is chapter 2, verse 10. He submitted to God's plan. Look at chapter 2, verse 10. He said to his wife, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. And that's referring to an unbelieving, an unbelieving perspective. He says, shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? He submitted to God's plan. Most people say when a lot of bad things happen that that proves that God doesn't exist. 
You've probably heard people tell you that. If there was really a God, if there was really a God, if he was a good God, how could he let this happen? How could he let this happen to me? What does Job say here? Job says the exact opposite. Unbelief says there can't be a God because a good God would never let this happen. The fourth aspect, submitting to God's plan, says the exact opposite. Good and hardship come from God. We're submitting to him. Let me give you two other passages here. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 14. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 14. There it says, In the day of prosperity be joyful, but in the day of adversity consider, surely God has appointed the one as well as the other. The other passage is Lamentations 3 and verse 38. Lamentations 3, 38. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being proceed? How much scripture did Job have at this point? Did he have a scrap of Genesis? No, Moses wrote that hundreds of years later. He didn't have any Bible. What church did Job belong to? Didn't have a body of believers to get help from. How many sermons could Job listen to as he's disfigured? Impoverished? Lost his kids? All he has is these four people, his wife and these three friends, tell him how bad he is and he needs to repent or curse God and die. Could Job pull up a sermon online and listen to that and gain encouragement from it when everybody else is telling him? No, couldn't do that. What about Christian self-help books? Could he do that? No, there's some good stuff out there, isn't it? Christians, I want you to just think a minute. How much scripture do we have? All of it. Do we have a church body to encourage us? Yep. How about sermons online that you can just go to? Yep. Are there good books that are a help to us? Amen. Job didn't have any of that. He didn't have any of that. But yet we read how he submitted to God's plan. He submitted to God's plan. And that puts a lot of contemporary believers to shame. Because a lot of contemporary believers who have all these blessings, they deny the sovereignty of God. And they will not submit to him. Say, how could God do this to me? Number six, Job had spotless character. Chapter 2, verse 3 and verse 9, where God says he still holds fast his integrity. The idea of that Hebrew word for integrity is spotless character. That's why I put it that way here. In chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, when Satan first came to the Lord, Satan says, does, God, does Job feel God for nothing? You've put a hedge around him. You've blessed his work. Take all that away and he's going to curse you. Satan accused Job of being selfish. The only reason that Job is doing this, Job's just kind of playing along, God. Job's just playing along. He's being godly because of all the good stuff that he's getting out of it. He's being selfish. Well, that didn't happen. Satan was wrong. So he goes another approach in chapter 2. 
Take away all that he has, verses 4 and 5. Attack his life, his body, as it were. Then we'll see. Here, Satan is accusing Job of being a hypocrite. A hypocrite. Job only lives this way because you protect him. Stop protecting him, you'll see the kind of guy that Job really is. So whether it was prosperity or adversity, whether it was times of woe or great blessing, Job lived a consistent, faithful, godly, spotless life before the Lord. Why do you worship with us today? What's your motivation for being here today? What's your motivation for spending time in devotions, reading your Bible or praying each day? What's motivating you with that? Do you hope to gain something? Get a little kickback from God? A coin in the vending machine of heaven? Are you going to continue doing that if life gets harder or if life gets better? More pain or more blessing? If you live and serve the Lord because you love him, you're going to serve him no matter what. If you serve him because you love him, you will serve him no matter what. You'll have pure motives, spotless character and integrity. What was God's assessment, number seven, of Job? He said, there is none like him on the earth. That is the Lord God's response to Job's life. And the Lord God's response to Job wasn't because of all that Job had, and it wasn't because of what he looked like and what he didn't have. Boy, there's a lesson there for us, isn't there? It was by Job's trust, his fear, his character before the Lord. I'd like to summarize these things at the bottom of your sheet there. How must you live in a sin-cursed world? Live a faithful, Christ-like life in every circumstance. Live a faithful, Christ-like life in every circumstance, in every experience. Your second blank. A faithful, Christ-like life in every circumstance, in every experience. And the third blank, every feeling that you have in this sin-cursed world. What circumstances did Job have when things were going well? Well, he had a lot, didn't he? What experience did he have? Wonderful experiences. What feelings did he have? Joy and praise and peace. What happened when all that changed in the same sin-cursed world? He still lived a, godless, a godly, faithful life before the Lord. And you must do the same. When Job had everything, he loved the Lord and he lived like it. When Job lost everything, and remember, when he lost everything, it wasn't over a period of time, was it? I emphasized that when I read it. In a matter of minutes, Job lost everything. And in a matter of minutes, when he lost everything, he's penniless. He has no children. He has nothing. He loved the Lord and he lived like it. So he could say, woe is me and great is the Lord. 
He could say, I am undone and I am in Christ. He could say, I have lost everything that I love in this world and I have everything because Christ loved me. He could say, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. He could say, in the good circumstances, in the hard circumstances, he could say this, blessed be the name of the Lord and blessed be the name of the Lord. That praise did not depend on the circumstances. And so Christian, your character, your conduct, your commitments must never be dependent on circumstances. Learn this from Job. Never. When you have great affluence and family happiness, or whether you have nothing, you're destitute, you're grieving and you're suffering, you must keep seeking the Lord and living for him. True faith and trust in God doesn't depend on circumstances. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. You know what happens when we try to solve the problem of evil in this world? Some of you may have been trying to do that, playing, you know, doing some theology here. Okay, God was sovereign. He's holy. Satan's doing this. But God may have been trying to solve the problem of evil in this world. You know what's going to happen almost every time you try to do that? You're going to go past God's word. Because God's word doesn't really tell us that. It tells us God is sovereign. God is holy. God always does what's right. Always does what's good. He causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And God also tells us that the world is sinful. It's cursed. Satan prowls about that we suffer and go through these things. It doesn't try to help us get to the final detail, to the satisfaction of our minds. It doesn't do that for us. It tells us these truths. And what are we supposed to do with truths? Believe them. When we are not satisfied with that and we try to get those figured out, you know what almost always happens every time? When we have truth about God and truth about life in us, we always tend to soften or discard some of these truths so that we focus and end up where? With us. And we have a man-centered theology and that never ends well. And that does not please the Lord. How far can you go? I'll give you an answer for that one. Ooh, I'm ready now. What's the farthest you can go in this? The farthest you can go is to trust the Lord. Period. You know, Job never got an answer for all that he was suffering. Why am I going through this, Lord? You're going to read that this week. Job will lay out and outline all of the good things he did. God, I don't deserve this. What's going on? He never learned about Satan. All that was good. We will see in chapters 38 to 41, he just needs to trust the Lord. How do you live in a sin-cursed world? You live by faith, not by sight. You must be, look at these six things on your sheet. You must be blameless and upright. How should you live in a sin-cursed world? You have to fear the Lord. You must shun evil. You must lead your family spiritually. You must trust the Lord. You must have spotless character. And when you do, guess what you will hear then someday? You will hear 
Well done, good and faithful servant.